Hello, and welcome to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. Welcome to our last episode of season three. Super excited to bring Colleen Smith this month. She is absolutely amazing. She is a recent graduate, so now a doc, so I should refer to her as Dr. Smith, to be honest. Um, she's a research practitioner who considers herself a inclusive instructional designer. She really embodies what inclusion means, and she uses that in her work as an instructional designer. She has experience with building instructor-led trainings for nonprofit organizations and online and hybrid courses for higher education students. She is somebody who is a lifelong learner, so you're going to hear a ton about all of the different paths she has gone on for her career, and she's somebody who is really resilient, who has gone through um, a lot of things in her career that allows her to advocate for herself. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Hi, Colleen. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, I know we've been following each other on social media for a little while, so it's so great to connect in person and get to know you a lot better. Um, So I always start with the age old, really boring interview question of tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh man, how much time do you have? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, So I am uh, currently a doc student. I am in the editing stage of my dissertation, hoping to defend this semester and graduate in May, hopefully. Um, I'm a mom, as we just talked about previously, and I'm also a freelance consultant learning designer right now. Um, And uh, my pathway to get there has been a little rocky, but also super interesting and full of life lessons for myself. So um, other than that, I'm a cat lover. My partner's a dog lover. We try to make that work. And now we have a tortoise. So (laughs) um, between that, I currently reside in North Carolina, but I've lived all up and down the Midwest slash Northeast from uh, Indiana to Florida to Maryland to Tennessee to, you know, all the different places. So I uh, love to experience different places, but I hope, I hope that this is our last place to live. And now we live in North Carolina and we're going to stay here. (laughs) I love that, that you've traveled so many different places and experienced so many things. And congratulations on being on the editing phase and almost the light at the end of the tunnel is there. That's so exciting. Oh my goodness. Thank you. It's so hard to keep motivation, but at the same time, I'm like, this has to end eventually, right? I need my (laughs) life back. It's it's been an interesting time because I started my doc journey like in a pandemic as a new mom. (laughs) With all of that, I was just like, can we please be done with this time of my life? Like, I love it. I love school. I love academia. I just I need I need to feel like I have a little bit more time left to, to do things that I like to do, you know. I totally get that. Um, if you're anything like me, though, once you finish, you'll you'll fill that time super quick. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do believe that that is my personality trait, one of my toxic personality traits. <laughs> I love it. 
Um, so that actually goes well with the question, um, cause you spoke to kind of the academic side. Um, what's your academic and scholarly background? Oh my, well, um, it, it's a little interesting. So I started out in computer graphics, uh, as a graphic designer in my bachelor's degree, absolutely loved learning about technology and programming and coding and website design and human computer interaction. Um, and then I got into like student development and leadership in orientation. So then I ended up doing a master's degree in counseling education, which was kind of like a student administration, student affairs type of background. Um, from there, I started working on like a grant funded opportunities. So like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, National Science Foundation grants. And those were like real hardcore administrative higher education positions, right? And then eventually throughout that, I was like, you know, I really miss technology. And I've been infusing technology into everything that I absolutely do anyways. So then I started kind of dabbling in online learning and being like, what is this really about? And then uh, anytime I decided to like really pivot in my career or like change careers, I go back to school. <laughs> So, so I, I started like a graduate certificate in e-learning and I was like, mm, this is interesting. And I was able to like put it together and then uh, being able to kind of infuse that into my work and my job already was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, all right, I have to go back for a doctorate and I have to do like full-fledged learning design. And so I'm now currently in a um, instructional systems and technology program at Florida State University. So it's an EDD program, three years, and I'm in, I'm at the end of my third year. So I'm so excited to um, kind of infuse everything together, right? That's amazing that um, I was actually looking in that program when I was looking for my doctoral, probably around the same time that you started yours. So that's so awesome. Um, and one thing that I've noticed is that you're kind of you're using the language of like learning designer versus instructional designer. And I think that there's always like, okay, but what's the difference? Like, tell me a little bit about how you kind of define and why you kind of relate to yourself as more of a learning designer. So that's a really good question. And I kind of think that the, the nomenclature really doesn't matter because that's what it does, but they're more like industry standards. I guess. So I grew up in my career in higher education. Like that's everything that I knew, everything that I actually, you know, worked from uh, working with instructional designers, knowing that the relationship is with a faculty member to help bring online learning for online courses. Right. But as an academic support services, higher education administrator, I guess, working with um, programs and trying to find like online asynchronous programs to help access with the programs and the curriculum that we were trying to get to students. That's not quite instructional design, but it is because it's not mandated, right? So it's more like, you know, you want to come learn about graduate school preparation services, right? Um, so from there, and then to fast forwarding to where I am now, I'm a freelance consultant, learning designer. Um, I, it, I I work a lot more with nonprofit organizations and creating trainings for their partner organizations. And that's more learning design because you're really putting it in the hands of, um, you know, the, the, the general public almost. And it's not 
really an instructor leading those trainings. It's a facilitator, right? So they're really facilitating their learning. So what I'm hoping to do is create a learning environment for anyone to learn. And specifically, um, I call myself an inclusive learning designer because I really care about those voices who are not the mainstream voices. And I want to make sure that what I'm creating is not just for those people who are the most privileged, who are used to academia, who are used to instructions and understanding what other people who have privilege and how they say that and what it means and what their expectations are. And so um, some of the clients that I work with, they are looking into the LGBTQ communities um, and, and youth who have been displaced from their homes, right? So thinking about at the most basic level, how are you going to prepare for job readiness when you don't really have a, a place or a phone or internet or how, what are those basic needs being met before you can even think about learning how to be prepared for a job? So I think zooming then back out from that lens, it, it's really um, designing a learning environment and a learning space rather than an instructional environment. But it also relates to higher ed too, because I'm also consulting with faculty at a community college in Florida. And it's the same concept. You're creating a learning environment. And it's just that in this specific case, you have faculty who are instructing, right? So it's a different style, but at the same time, it, it the underlying lens and framework to me is, is similar. Yeah, I agree. And I love your definition of that because I feel like, if, and you, you said it perfectly. It's like the semantics of it all. Like it all means the same thing with like the slightly different change. So your definition is, I, I love it. And you're actually making me consider rebranding <laughs> as a learning designer. I love it. <laughs> Um, so how do you use some of those, um, previous positions, even like moving around all of that as into your current position as, you know, a freelancing consulting learning designer? Oh my goodness. So that's a really good question. And there's multiple examples, but what I'm going to do is think about like how I, I don't use it. <laughs> if that makes sense. So one of the biggest things that I needed to learn going from counselor education was that I understood how to write learning outcomes, but I didn't quite understand how to assess them and align the entire framework that I was doing from beginning to end in terms of a program, right? Um, it was always always like already created for me. So with my first program at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, I was working on a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation grant for transfer students who were in STEM backgrounds. So science, technology, engineering, and math. And I, this is the first time that I was, you know, like in a, a position where I could really innovate and do something a little bit different. And knowing that UMBC was a commuter school and it was imperative that our students saved money by gas because I don't know if you've ever been in traffic between DC and Baltimore, but it is just a lot. <laughs> like going three miles could take you at least 30 minutes, depending on what time of day it is. So the commuter traffic was just pretty um, a lot. <laughs> so I tried to create as many things as online as possible so that students didn't have to come in for an advising appointment. So I was basically advising students to get from the community or state college 
into a four-year university, right? And what that looks like. So I ended up making like job aids, but um, instructional videos for them to learn how to like translate credits themselves. And I was like, the more you do, the less I have to do. So that's really where I started with that instructional design thinking process. But it was just like a one-off type thing. It wasn't like a strong across program. And then in another grant-funded program for the National Science Foundation, also underrepresented students in STEM, that I was kind of working on this program where we had a class associated with it, but it was also a lot of co-curricular type of activities along with it to build a cohort, to build a community. And that's really where I started to learn like sense of belonging, right? Um, and, and understanding how to kind of create that community with students who had never met before in their lives. Like literally they go from high school they or a state college and then they come onto campus, they live together, they take the class together and then they do research together, right? In an undergraduate research lab. And it was just completely eye-opening. First of all, I didn't know what undergraduate research was and I was like, great, let's learn it. <laughs> which is a common theme in my life. I just take jobs and I'm like, okay, I'll learn, I'll learn that. That's fine. Um, but, the, but the concept was that I had to learn how to deliver certain things in the classroom that was more applicable to their success and persistence in a STEM field rather than really... Um, then like, you know, they have to understand what a proper research question is, right? And it was learning how to navigate a mentorship relationship in a research lab, right? Those types of things is kind of like the, the uh, it's hard to measure those learning objectives. So I started getting into more affective type of learning objectives and, and looking how do I, how do we measure this exactly? And um, through that grant program, it led me to my next position, <laughs> which was kind of um, more of like a strategic move for me, I think. Um, I was still working with uh, students who were uh, majorly underserved in higher education, um, uh, kind of like a, almost like a trio grant, but a sister program. Um, and in that position, I honestly was like, I just need a different position because I feel like I've done as much as I can with my last position, right? And I'm also in that point, remember when I said that I started dabbling in like e-learning and online learning stuff, I was taking courses at the school that I was at, thankfully. And from there, I was like, I really want to negotiate my next move, right? So I met with the hiring uh, manager or the hiring supervisor. I had been working with him in my previous position. So I started saying like, what if we put like online learning curriculum skills into the job description. What if we added, you know, like a social media marketing component to the job description? You know, all the things that you need for this position to be, yes, let's do that. Which was like graduate school preparation, which by the way, I thankfully got into a master's degree after my bachelor's, I, but I had no idea to the extent of how a, a student could and should prepare to apply and then get in with funding to a graduate or doctorate program. So I learned a lot for that position as well. But at the same time, I was able to negotiate the things that I wanted to learn and that I wanted to implement so that I could put it on my resume, right? Um, so that's a long-winded answer, <laughs> but it, it kind of shows like the different facets of how this was 
going to be my life anyway. And I just didn't know it. I was just working towards it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that what I love about your story is how it's almost like a, a a course, right? So like you've scaffolded your whole life of, okay, first I learned objectives. Then I learned how to actually measure those objectives. And, and it's just very cool to see just how you've grown yourself. Cause I think a lot of times people see instructional design as, oh, I was a teacher. That means I'm automatically can be an instructional designer. And I don't think other industries realize they can also be instructional designers and just in unique, different ways. Like there's so many different ways we define that. And you even talked about that with defining it versus learning design versus instructional design. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the interesting part was that when I was starting to look into instructional design, cause I was like, maybe this is something I want to do. Um, someone who was a higher up at my institution told me, you know, exactly what you want to do. That's not a thing that people can do for 40 hours a week. And I was like, what? <laughs> it just like completely shot my like confidence, but at the same time, it lit a fire under me. <laughs> Because I don't, on a podcast, people can't see, but I have red hair and there's a reason for that. <laughs> like, I'm a fiery redhead Irish woman. <laughs> like, it, it, one of the things that if you really want to get something done, you tell me it can't be done. <laughs> I will spend my entire time trying to make this happen. And one of the things that I really love about some of the, the topics of your podcast and some other instructional design podcasts is that student success and persistence is starting to become a big thing and especially cultural inclusiveness. And that is what I've grown my career in already, you know, and then adding the, the instructional design or the learning design part of it, you know, on top of that girl, I'm ready. Like I am ready to make this happen. And I'm ready to be that person that people can ask questions about. But at first I have to show that, you know, I got the research back behind me. So that's why I ended up doing a doctorate program. I love it. I actually just read, um, I think it was Upsia's president put out like a forecast for 2023. And it was literally those topics of student success, making sure that students actually finish programs, finished courses, and then also building inclusive learning experiences. So yeah, you are right there, ready to go. <laughs> Honestly, my ideal like higher education, because, you know, uh, critical theory and looking at higher education and disrupting systems really is all I think about. So my ideal system for higher education is to have an instructional designer, a faculty member and a student success, student affairs, student academic affairs support, whatever administrator, all connected to every single course. All those three plus peer mentors, plus TAs. Yeah, I know who has the funding, but still, this is my ideal of <laughs> what I think successful courses could be in higher ed. That would be amazing. I love that idea. <laughs> um, so what would you say is your greatest success so far in the field? Mm, okay. So my fame, my, my greatest success, honestly, is uh, quitting my job, <laughs> which sounds different than what it should be. But I come from a low income background. Um, I grew up in middle Tennessee with a single parent and it was um, really hard. So then when I went to college at a pretty uh, big state institution in a different state, 
light years different of education for me. Like the one thing that was really difficult for me was just understanding how quickly my faculty could talk in comparison to what I was used to in Tennessee. So it it, it was just it was just a complete like different world for me. Um and so I just never stopped working. I had two, maybe three jobs at one time, just doing like academic mentoring or um, I was doing student orientation. And then at the same time I was dancing and I was doing all these other things, um, being like a, a dance teacher. And it was, it was hard because I'm always going. And we had talked earlier about like filling something in with your time. I'm never the person that sits still, right? So I ended up quitting my job at my first move out of higher ed. I got a learning design position and I was so burnt out because I was a new mom, doctorate student, and someone who had, this is going to be hard to talk about, but recently, um, unexpectedly lost the graduate assistant who had been working with me for over two years. Um Grief is a hard thing to navigate. And I'm from someone who uh, has a, or, or had been in a counseling program, like mental health is really important. So I ended up just quitting and stopping. I didn't have anything lined up. I had friends who were like, oh yeah, I'll throw you some freelance work. Like, blah, blah, we'll figure that out. And I was like, but I can't, I can barely function as a person. So my greatest um, achievement is that I was able to stop. And I know that I'm also very fortunate and privileged to have a partner who could support us. I mean, we're not in the best financial situation currently, but it was still something that I was fortunate enough to still survive doing that. Right. And I was just so burnt out. Um, and from there, like I did pick up a couple of those random freelancing jobs from friends. And some of them turned into um, uh, regular contract work. And some of them turned into um, them introducing me to someone else who could offer me another contract. So I'm now a freelance consultant, first time self-employed. Oh my goodness, the anxiety that comes with that. <laughs> It's been, it's been insane, but yes, that is my, my biggest accomplishment so far. Um, I'm hoping once this dissertation is defended that might take its place, but it, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. And congratulations on being able like to identify that and do something about it. And cause it's so easy to kind of just sit in that burned out and not do anything about it. Right. It's much easier to do that. And I think that that is a very, very huge thing that I'm so glad that that is your greatest accomplishment because that's a huge thing to be able to do is just to recognize, like, I need to stop and I need for my own mental health to take a second and just say, let me figure out what to do next. So, and I'm very sorry to hear about your, your graduate assistant, but I'm very glad that you were able to do that. Definitely. I mean, I think the hardest thing for people who come from a low-income background, they always think like, like it's a, it's an honor or a privilege that I have a job. So I'm going to do everything in my power to keep it. Even if the environment's not good, even if it's burning me out even more, even if, you know, you just put up with it and you do what you have to do in order to make money, in order to put food on the table, in order to keep yourself going. 
Um, and I think that that was the hardest thing to accept that I don't have to be in this environment and I can figure something else out. So why can't I take a breather <laughs> in order to figure that out? Um, so scary, scary as hell, man. I, I just, yeah, it was not easy, but that's why I think it's my biggest achievement because I've made it through and now I have this business and it's, it's weird to even think about it. You know, I was just about to say that it's like, live, you're living proof that like you can make the, make it through and come out the other end and, and be successful and do good things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on the flip side of that, what would be your greatest challenge so far as like a learning designer slash instructional designer slash doc student slash mom slash all the things? <laughs> well, so when I was thinking about your questions, I was like the same thing. <laughs> it's been really difficult and, and really challenging. But I think right now it's kind of um, that sustaining that mental power of say, of just checking in with myself every so often and being nice to myself, you know, as moms, as you may know, we're not the nicest people to ourselves. You know, we're always feeling guilty about work or about doing something we like to do without the kid, without the family, without whoever, you know, and, and you, you need some me time. So with all of that stuff that you rattled off, I also need to work really hard at that balancing act. And it's a constant challenge and it's a constant thing that I'm thinking about. So that, that, that balancing act is very salient in like my identity right now, where I'm saying, oh, I need to give my, my kid this much attention. I want to give my partner this much attention. We need this much amount of family time and adventure time and fun time. And oh yeah, right. I'm a person too. So let's figure that out as well. And uh, hoping that I'm not the last person on the list. Right. Yeah. It's very important to not be the last person on the list. It's so easy to do that. I literally it's so funny because I had some time off during, and you might relate to this, but I had some time off during the holidays and like, it was just so weird to be like, oh, so this is what it's like to not constantly be doing something. And this is what it's like to like be relaxed. Okay. I cannot wait for that. <laughs> I guess. I'm like, maybe I should like continue that throughout like the year of being able to take some time and, you know, do take a day here and there and do something for me. And it's okay to do that. And yeah, the mom guilt, it's like, I'm either like a really good worker or I'm like a really good mom. I feel like that I'm never like both at the same time. I'm like, come on universe. <laughs> it's so difficult because you know how people say like, you can't multitask. You really can't, but at the same time you have to. <laughs> You know, you have to be thinking about what's the next, you know, like uh, practice you're taking your kid to, or like, how do I get them signed up for this? Are they eating well? And at the same time, are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? And if you're not doing those things, then how are you going to function at work? You know, so I, I, I totally feel you. Um, we could probably talk about mom life for hours. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Um, so what do you, what is something that you wish you knew before coming into the field? Um, I think that's a, and I was kind of thinking about this also is that it's okay to take your own path. You know, I think I felt at one point I was really behind because, you know, there are undergraduate degrees for instructional design now. 
I had no idea that that was a thing when I was in college, which it may not have been when I was in college, but it, it, it just made me feel so behind, like figuring out that this was a career path and like, this is my, my ideal career path now. <laughs> but, but really, I think the one thing that I wish I would have known, because I've done, you know, career development advising, I've done um, undergraduate class advising, I've done graduate school advising, I've done all of these things about helping someone else figure out their career development, but I never really gave myself the flexibility of thinking, what types of careers could you want? And not narrowing it down to one and figuring out when is the best time for what in my life, right? So Student Affairs is like notorious for like uh, having late night programs, um, buying cupcakes and cookies and pizza, and also kind of being that like mother hen to students and having the answers and being the support, you know, and being their mom away from home, basically. Um, And when I became a mom, I was like, look, there's got to be some boundaries here. (laughs) I can't like be talking to students at 10 o'clock at night while also trying to feed my kid and while also trying to like get myself to sleep. Right. And with that, I think it just became a different season of my life of the type of career that I wanted. Um, and going, and I know nothing, not everything's about money, but when you come from no money, like you have to think about how are you building this generational wealth? Right. And that just wasn't cutting it with my higher ed salary in student affairs, you know? So I was like, so how am I going to take the skills that I have, the interests that I have and this like fire in me to like help people and make an impact for people, what am I going to do with this? You know? And so I figured out instructional design, learning design, and then, you know, I'm still on my path. And I think it's, it's interesting because I'm trying to be more forgiving of myself going back to the mom guilt deal, but also feeling behind from other people because uh, I mean, my last job, someone said, yeah, you know, more junior employees, I should probably be handheld a lot more. And I was like, I'm not a junior employee. Like I've been in the workforce for a bit. <laughs> and the, the issue is that I'm still learning about instructional design and what the, um, I guess the, the quote standards or the uh, traditional standards that have been really linked to instructional design or learning design. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of breaking the mold by reviewing that system and saying, why does it have to be this way? And why can't we make things more fun, which is that experience design part then? Um, So I I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, A lot. I wish I knew before coming in here because I feel like I'm still learning. Um, So I don't think it's going to end. No, I think that's some great realizations. And one thing I will say, and hopefully this makes you feel better too, is that like the field of instructional design changes so quickly. Like I feel like whenever I'm like, okay, I got this. It's great. And then the next semester create new classes. And then I look back and I'm like, man, those classes really sucked. These are better. So it's like, (laughs) I feel like it's this constant, like you're constantly learning new things. You're constantly, I think that goes back to like being a lifelong learner as an idea is so great, but, um, I definitely don't think you're behind. I think that, I think it's awesome. The things that you're doing and kind of, like you said, breaking the mold of why do we have to do it this way? Why can't we do it, you know, a different way? And 
Um, there's so many different definitions of instructional design. I feel like it'll, this career path allows you to do that. And I think that that's absolutely amazing. That is true. Uh, just thinking about my clients and the different needs that they have, it's just a lot, right? I mean, uh, at one point I could doing project management for two different companies in between them, just helping them figure it out in an e-learning type of uh, project. Or I could be consulting faculty members and thinking about like, how do they set boundaries for themselves with their own students? Because they give their phone numbers out to their students, which is admirable. But at the same time, you also have a family and people that you have to take care of. So it, it kind of runs the gamut, <laughs> you know, of, of what this career is and what my current business is. So it's, um, I agree with you. Yeah. So because you've learned so much now, what would be your best piece of advice for somebody going into the field? Um, I would say don't feel like you have to get a new degree in order to be in this field. Um, that is my personal way of learning new things because I know that I work well in academia. I'm not a first generation college student, so it's easy for me to navigate. Um, but there are so many certification courses out there that you can learn the same type of stuff and you can create a portfolio that is a uh, telling of your skills. I think that some, some of us, especially in higher ed feel like, you know, that's the way to do it. That's how I prove myself that I can do it. Um, and there are some instructional design positions that require a master's degree in instructional design. And I do personally feel like that's a little short-sighted um, only because there are so many other ways to learn now. And you're basically discounting those people who didn't have the income or didn't have the social or cultural capital to understand how to navigate that higher education system, right? So I, I feel as though that's a gatekeeping technique <laughs> and someone might come back to me, but um, the whole point for me is to create spaces that is inclusive and brings multiple people to the table, not just the people who have been there historically. Um, and I say that knowing full on well, I am a white woman that is advocating for this in an in instructional design field. So um, it, it comes with with a lot of heart and a lot of um, shared stories from from people around me that I hold near and dear to my heart. So um, I think that that's something that I would want people to know is that you don't have to get a degree really to do this. And I, I also want employers to start thinking about how else can you measure these skills um, rather than requiring a master's degree or, or an undergraduate degree in instructional design in order to get an amazing instructional designer who has a diverse perspective that can probably spin you on your head, but still have the skills. <laughs> I agree. I think that a lot of the hard skills of ID can be learned on the job, which I think you are a great example of that. Like you've been learning them on the job and the most important things are like the soft skills, the collab, being able to collaborate, being able to kind of communicate with one another, project management, all of these things I feel being flexible, like those are the key pieces to the job, not like using the technology or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> all right. So I know you're a doc student, so you might be reading more research type things, but I love stealing <laughs> what other people are reading. <laughs> So are there Don't ask books? me this question. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Don't do it. 
<laughs> I want to know what you're currently reading. <laughs> I am rereading my own writing currently and editing and saying, should I put a the there? sentence so really it's nothing that you can um read yourself sadly unfortunately but it is all academic like journals and articles trying to find um the exact research to support culturally sustaining instructional design so um yeah that's where well then I will look forward to seeing that so I can read it when it comes out (laughs) thank you thank you yeah manuscript hopefully will be published sometime this year but we we just yeah It'll, it'll be, I I cannot wait to have a life of my own. (laughs) You know, I used to have an Audible account where I, because reading for me is really difficult because of my processing speed. And so I listen to books more than I actually read them. So like I do audio, like speech to text on my, on like all my scholarly articles. I have a MacBook, so I've been able to like create a new hotkey for it. So I'm just like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's go. So it's really quick and easy for me. And it's just been just not fun. And I miss my Audible account and I miss being able to read books, but I will probably start with the like self-help mom books first after this whole dissertation is over. So I guess I'll let you know once I get there. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. I love that. And I'm sure it's not easy to listen to research studies through like the text to speech. <laughs> no, no, it's yeah. not. Um, th- it, no, it's not. But I, it helps with my attention. It helps with processing. It helps with everything, but I have to look at it and listen to it at the same time. But <laughs> follow me for more tech tips now. Um, <laughs> that is, that is something that I have to do in order to like make it make sense and get the synthesis going and uh, all the wheels turning at the same time. I love that. It's like a perfect example of why access online is so important. <laughs> like your prime example. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's all the questions I had. Um, is there any last minute like things you want to add or anything like that? Um, I know that I've talked about my business, but it's really just for clients. Um, honestly, right now it's, uh, the amount of time that I have in a day while also working on my dissertation throughout the week. So, um, it, it, it's really inclusive learning design. Um, all I care about is making it a welcoming space for everybody, but by designing for the most marginalized people in that uh, environment. So that is, to me, kind of a new thing that I'm creating. I'm hoping this will spread. I'm hoping other people will follow it. I'm sure there are other inclusive learning designers out there, and I hope to find them. (laughs) So if you're one of them, come find me on Instagram. I am one of them. So that might be why we're already following each other. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Uh, Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was um, amazing to have this conversation with you. You too. You too. Thanks for having me. What I think the greatest takeaway with talking to Dr. Smith uh, during this month was just being able to advocate for yourself and being able to see that sometimes the path that you're going on isn't the one that you're going to end up on. And being able to see and look back at those moments in life when you're at a fork in the road and being aware that it's okay to go to a different direction than you thought you were going to go. And I think that is a really something that 
Colleen should be very proud of herself for is being able to identify that, go in a different direction, and continue to be successful. So thank you for joining me this season of Being an Instructional Design Rockstar. We will be back with season four next month.